Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of which, new report about what are the chances a phone call that you get on your cell is legit or not. Wait till you hear the latest during the Clark Rage. And coming up yet later... The ability for you to get a better deal on your checking account has skyrocketed as well as on savings. I'm going to tell you why you need to break your old habits to make your money grow for you. And I want to talk right now about something that has generated a large number of Ask Clarks. And we are able, with the Ask Clarks, you do such a service for your fellow listener when you post a question on ask clark at clark.com and there was a huge uptick in the number of questions about how you verify who you say you are with the credit bureaus if you put a credit freeze in place and as i shared with you just a week ago Credit freezes and thaws of a credit freeze are now free. So the credit bureaus, having this be kind of like a backwater to a major part of their activity, were really wanting a simpler way that has upset a lot of people. Up to last week, the procedure was that you would file a request for a credit freeze with a credit bureau and they would issue you a unique secret code. Code was somewhere like 10 to 12 digits, I guess, depending on the bureau. And so your credit would be frozen. You'd decide you wanted a new cell phone plan or you wanted to shop for auto insurance or you wanted to apply for a loan or whatever, so you had to thaw or get a new credit card. You had to thaw your file. So you'd go onto the website of the credit bureau, you'd put in your secret code to thaw, and then, bam, you'd have access to your credit. More important, somebody that was pulling your credit to decide whether or not to do business with you would be able to do so where they were blocked otherwise. The whole purpose of credit freeze is to block the crook out. Well, now two of the nation's three credit bureaus, TransUnion and Equifax, both are eliminating the pens, the, the codes. And now you will sign into an account that you set up with them. And once they let you in to your account, you will be able to instantly thaw that you won't need a code anymore. Well, that has upset a lot of people to the extreme because the whole idea of this whole process was that the secret code you had would only be known to you and you wouldn't have to worry about somebody getting into your uh, account with a credit bureau thawing your credit. Now, with it being a username and a password to get into an account, it takes us full circle back to what the problem's been with so many websites, financial sites, all the rest. Think of Facebook with their big breach and all that. And so 
it is not going to be as foolproof a system as before. It does not take away the value of you freezing your credit. And uh, nobody really knows why TransUnion and Equifax did this experience staying with the codes for now, the unique secret code that each person would have from each bureau. But that's the answer to the question that has come in from so many people. And the good news, and it is really good news, is that with this procedure now being free, there's a much greater chance that someone who didn't do it because it was $10 to freeze and $10 every time you thawed in most states. Now that it's free, there's a much greater likelihood that people will freeze their credit, which is a good thing for you to do. Becky's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Becky. How you doing? Very well. How are you, Clark? Great. Thank you, Becky. How can I be of service to you? Well, I am in the process of purchasing a new home. It's a little bit more expensive than the initial home that I'm in. And my family has some concerns, as do I, on if something should happen to me, not death, because that would be covered by life insurance, but if I become debilitated and encounter an injury um, and can't make my payments, what happens to my home? And I was told that there is a mortgage protection insurance available, but I talked to my insurance company, and they said that that's not typically done anymore. So I was wondering what your thoughts are, and if that's it's a waste because of money it, or a good that's idea. because I'll keep this clean, and I won't use the word they usually use <laughs> in the industry, but it's junk insurance. Okay. So let me tell you the the background in the industry. They refer to this stuff as croak and choke. So croak and choke, croak being the if you die, choke being you're disabled. And so they derisively talk about it behind our backs because it's an intensely profitable insurance product like the mortgage life. There's, uh, there used to be a blended product, mortgage life and disability. But the thing is, is that what's more important, and you said it right yourself, you said, well, I don't need mortgage life insurance because I have, what did you say you had? Life insurance? Exactly. It's your insurance that you name a beneficiary for, and that beneficiary can then use the money as they wish as would be the most appropriate, which may not be paying off a mortgage. But the big thing is that the mortgage life insurance that's peddled so heavily costs roughly 10 times what a individually purchased life insurance policy would cost. But the life insurance is only good if I croak. Right, so, so let's deal with choke. <laughs> so with choke, you have you should have more concerns than if, if you became disabled and you were unable to work than just what's going to happen with your mortgage because there are so many bills of life that continue to go on if you're not able to work. And that's why having your own disability insurance policy or a disability insurance policy through where you work is fantastic to have. And it's something almost nobody buys, but is a very valuable piece because during someone's working lifetime, they're three times more likely to become disabled than to die. Right. But people 
will, even though not enough people buy life insurance, almost nobody buys disability. So I do have short and long-term disability through my work. Then, then you're good. Okay. You're good. And uh, how how much would you say you're a lifer with where you're working? Um, I think it's for three hundred. No, no. I mean, how? <laughs> I guess I didn't Sorry. phrase that in English. So, are, how likely are you to stay at this place of employment for the rest of your working career? I'd say it's highly likely, but in the field that I'm in, it's also common that people do move from company to company. So if your health is really solid, I think it would be worth it you getting a quote owning your own disability policy okay. rather than one through your employer. Because if you own one through an employer and you switch employers, let's say you're not in health at that time to get a disability policy, owning your own becomes portable just like having your own life insurance policy. Is adding a term life insurance beneficial for me as well? I mean, I'm almost 50, so... Ugh. Yeah, so I love term life insurance and having that to provide for the remaining cycle of your working lifetime, depending on your family circumstances. Like, do you have minor children? No, I'm single. Okay, so the purpose of having that insurance is principally to provide for survivors that depend on you for income. If you don't have anyone that depends on you for income, there's likely not a a big reason for you to have more life insurance, but the disability that you would own would be very valuable. Okay. Okay? Very good. Very good. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Eric's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Eric. Hey, Clark. Greetings from the great Northwest. Thanks for all you do for us. Absolutely. So where in the Northwest do you live? I'm up uh, in Washington State, just outside Seattle, and it is raining. Well, producer Joel was born in Oregon, so... Oh, that's a beautiful country. Yeah, so he left, though, as a young kid, so he doesn't remember a whole lot, except when he goes back to visit. Right on. So uh, why is football played outside in Washington State with all that rain all the time? During football season. You know, that, that, that's a good question. They put a roof on the, the uh, baseball stadium. I don't know why they didn't put one on the Seahawks stadium. There. I don't get it. I just don't get it. But anyway, that's yeah. neither here nor there. <laughs> so, Eric, how can I serve you? So, I have a, a beautiful, sweet girlfriend, very, very sweet, who has in the past been taken advantage of and, uh, and subsequently has a credit history that's not so stellar. Um, she's trying to rebuild it, and I want to assist her uh, in rebuilding it faster, um, as fast as she can. And what my question was, if if I put her on as an authorized user to my credit card, because my, my payment history is really, really good, um, but without giving her the card or, or letting her actually be able to use it, just an authorized user, would that... Um, reduce her credit score because it's a newer will it show up as like a new account? no no that'll be nothing but positive for her depending on the issuer and how they report authorized users it will either be nothing or positive and it won't Great, harm you it will be to her advantage and you already gave the preamble that you would not be giving her the plastic 
And that's yeah. very important because relationships change and all that. And you don't want the plastic in her possession, but having her as an authorized user allows you to really be of value to her. The things that she has, how old is the trouble on her credit? Probably 10, 10 years. Nothing that old should be on her credit. Items only stay on your credit seven years. Okay. And so when's the last time that, that if you've talked about this together, when's the last time she looked at her credit report? Um, her credit report, I'm not sure. I know she's got Credit Karma, so I know she's monitoring it because she's trying to rebuild. Um, so I don't know as far as her credit report, but that's a good a good idea to see what's... Well, at Credit Karma, she can see. That. Credit Karma, she can see her reports, too. Oh, and okay. what she should look for is any items that are not what's called aged properly. Because if her problems with credit go back a decade, those things should not be present on her report. So she should essentially have a no file, almost, versus a bad file for things from long ago. It's not unusual okay. for a collection agency to do what's called refresh the date, to try to keep something active in somebody's mix that shouldn't be. And then what she oh, would wow. do is if something's on there that is too old, she challenges it with the credit bureau, notifies whoever has the it dated wrong that she's challenged it and it needs to be removed. And generally when somebody's savvy enough to do that, the collection agencies behave themselves. Okay. So the other thing is, if she already has credit cards of her own right now, um, does that affect um, the uh, her credit score as far as if I'm reporting her on mine? Yeah, so and, you, you know, add her as an authorized user on top of what she's got. That will already. be really helpful to her as well because it will increase her available credit which will help drive her score up. That's one of the areas with a credit report, you can have the greatest impact in the shortest period of time is improving the ratios of how much debt she's carrying versus how much debt is available to her. So adding her authorized, depending on how it's reported again, should be of help to her. Today's Clark Rageous moment is something that is one of those frustrations in life you need to know how to deal with. Today's Clark Rage is something that you could see it coming down the tracks the last couple of years, but wait till where the train's pulling into the station. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. So. I don't know if you've noticed this on your cell phone, but the criminals that make the junk phone calls have now figured out how to caller ID spoof with using a number with the first three digits being whatever area code your cell phone is from. And so the idea is that even if you don't recognize a number, you're more likely to answer it when it originates from the area code that you uh, may live in or at least at one time you did because you have that exchange for your cell phone number that area code and so it's become very easy for the criminals with very cheap software to be able to spoof that caller id and now a new prediction that half of all half 
of all cell phone calls in the next few months will be fake calls or scam calls or spam calls. And so here's my rule. And for now, this still works. And that is only answer a call from someone you know. Most of us, most of our call traffic comes in from a very small number of people, less than 12 people. And you know those people are, you answer those calls. Anybody else calls, let it go to voicemail. If it's important, they'll leave a message. If it's a scammer, they're on to try to rip off the next person. But answering your phone, answering a call, you don't know where that call's coming from, trouble, trouble, trouble. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. And you want some off-air advice? We got that for you for free. We do that over 40 hours each week where you can talk with a member of Team Clark for nothing. Question, problem, looking for solutions. We're there for you. And if you go on Clark.com, scroll down a little, You'll see the phone number and hours available for free off-the-air advice, a service of our show now in its 26th year of free off-the-air advice. So the way people bank is changing quite rapidly. At least the availability of new ways to bank is changing rapidly. A lot of people, creatures of habit, and have trouble changing the way you do things, but I want you to know that there are more and more ways for you to do your banking with one of the new online banks that offer just a phenomenally better deal than what you historically have been used to. Uh, Let me give an example. Empower which I talked about before when it was basically just an idea, is now accepting customers, E-M-P-O-W-E-R dot M-E, empower me. Cute, huh? Anyway, so people aren't going to find their way to it with the cutesy (laughs) dot M-E. But anyway, empower is doing a debit card, which you know I'm not a big fan of debit cards, but they're doing a debit card where you get 1% cash back on the debit card. They're paying uh, great rates of interest on savings, where traditional banks are paying basically near 0%. The online banks all paying upper ones to now about 2.25% on savings. And Simple, which I've talked about in the past, Simple.com is now paying over 2% on savings. They're paying um, money that when you go to a traditional bank, their whole thing is to fee you to death and pay you nothing on your savings. Well, now that interest rates are rising again, the Federal Reserve raising rates again, that what we can earn on savings, if we shop around, is going up. So let me draw this clear distinction for you that's so important. Remember the two parts to this. If you stay stuck at particularly a giant monster mega bank 
there are two things that are certain. One, they're going to look for every way possible to rip you off on your checking account. It's what they live for, to see how they can rip you off, how they can fee you, how they can have gotchas. And then if you do a good job saving money, they're going to punish you with earning nothing on the savings. On the other hand, if you make the leap to an online bank, they don't have any fees on their checking accounts. No minimums, no fees, nothing like that. It's funny now that Ally seems like a gray beard in online banking because so many others are now in it either just doing the savings accounts or doing the whole shebang with checking accounts. And the movement is clearly for, and learn something. You know how people talk about learn from your elders? Learn from your kids. Your kids don't want to be taken advantage of by some traditional bank. They want to earn something on their savings. And they don't want to have to pay fees on their checking accounts. And the online banks can do both of these things because they were built from the ground up to be efficient. They don't have the drag of all these branch networks or all these um, drive-through places. I think about what dinosaurs they are. I was at a red light daydreaming the other day and it was on it was on Sunday and there's all this commerce going on all this activity and there were three banks in my vision and they're all like sucking the life out of you because on Sunday nothing going on everywhere else activity but banks are just a joke because they're so stuck in the distant past don't let the joke be on you go modern and go to somebody who everything they're about is getting you as a customer and keeping you as a customer by giving you a better deal instead of trying to figure out how they're going to stab you in the back while they smile to your face derek's with us on the clark howard show hello derek hi clark Derek, you are a max saver. Tell me about you. What are you up to? Um, twenty-four, no debt. Um, trying to retire early and try to listen to you more, so I can make that happen. So, are you working a full-time job that you're saving like crazy at? Yeah, I have a full-time job, and then I freelance doing wedding videos on the weekends. Um, so. so you're a seven-day-a-week guy working all yeah. the time. Yes. Now, are you yeah. allowing any time for yourself to just enjoy your, your life, or are you just working? Uh, just the, the summer is like the busiest, um, and then after that, it slows down, so that's when I get to enjoy it. Good. All right. So yeah. let's talk strategy. So you have the weekend gig. And you're self-employed for that. You're not working for somebody else. You're you're earning completely as an independent contractor on the weekends, right? Correct. So have you set up a SEP, a Simplified Employee Pension? 
Um, I I haven't. I know I I just heard about that, and I wasn't sure if like since I already maxed out a raw and uh, 403D at my um, employer, if can I still contribute to that? Yes. And see, that's okay. something you, you want to do because the more money that you can put aside now makes it more and more possible for you down the road to be able to have complete financial independence, which sounds like that's what you are really into. Mm-hmm. So let's go is to the fourth. Is there a certain one that you would recommend for that? Yeah, okay. So for a SEP, I would go with one of the ultra-low-cost companies. Who do you have your Roth with? Vanguard. All right, so I would just do your SEP with Vanguard, too, to keep okay. it simple. All right, so let's go talk about your 403B. Mm-hmm. Are you offered the option of a Roth 403B or only a traditional 403B? Just the traditional. Okay. And do you know what kind of expenses that you're shouldering with that 403B? Um, I, I think it's minimal. Um, it's They just, I don't put any money into it. They, they already automatically just put 12% into it. So I'm just... Going off wow, of you're on a free ride there. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. All right, let's talk goals in the next five years. What things yeah. do you, because you've got, if you, do the, if you do the SEP, you got this 403B, you're doing fully funding a Roth. What things do you want to accomplish before you turn 30? Um, maybe purchase a home, um, but not within, I don't know, the next three years or so. I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not trying to spend money on a car, um, trying to keep everything pretty low and yeah, maybe save up for a house would be probably the biggest expense that I would be looking forward. All right. I'd say for that, then you want Dullesville. Pretty much what I was just talking about with the online banks. And mm-hmm. right now you can earn two and a quarter percent. Uh, it's not going to mm-hmm. be earth shattering, but you're going to be earning money on your money and um, you start building up that pile of cash and then mm-hmm. let's say an opportunity comes along to buy a home and you know right now is not a great time to buy a home yeah no waiting for the market to crash well we're not going to so see a crash yeah, that yeah, was that was an unusual down. circumstance 10 years ago when you were a teenager but we yeah. but we are going to see housing become more affordable versus income again because where we're at right now is not sustainable for housing to have so outstrip so many people's income. So I would bide your time. I would keep stashing this surplus cash beyond what you do in the SEP, the Roth, and through the employer uh, 403B and put money into one of these online accounts. And then when the opportunity presents itself where there's a good deal on a house, you will have already done the key work by living on less than what you make and saving as much as you can. If you go to bankrate.com and click on savings rates, you'll see some of the opportunities right now to earn about two and a quarter percent. And if I'm repeating myself, I don't know if I said this, those rates are likely going up another quarter point over the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Should it, do you think I should put it in that instead of like a Fidelity zero fee fund? Yes. Because when your window is shorter, the Fidelity zeros are really a longer-term play. And 
up to a window of like five years. That's why I specifically asked, what do you hope to accomplish in your 20s? Next five years, it's too much a risk to put the money that you're going to want to use for something like a down payment on a house into stock type choices. The Fidelity Zeros are one that's a total U.S. stock market index or another, an international stock market index with no commissions, no fees. Fidelity's absorbing all those. And so that's a great choice for money that would be a longer term holding, but not for money that you're going to use in the next several years. You got to move well past five, I'd say seven years or longer before that becomes a good place for you to pop your money. And congratulations to you, Derek, for being so industrious and being such a saver. Nicole is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Nicole. Hey, Clark. Nicole, you got a question for me about buying real estate. Yes. So I'm a realtor, and my home has roughly a little over 90 grand in equity. And I was wondering if it would be smart to pull some of that equity out and buy an investment property. I really want to get into that side of things. Well, you know, I just alluded to it a second ago. Real estate is um, has moved up beyond generally people's ability to afford to buy a home. You're a real estate agent. You're out there all the time. Mm-hmm. You know when a property is an unusually good deal. Mm-hmm. There aren't as many of those right now. Right. So if you were to put at risk the equity you have in your personal residence to buy an investment property, buy a rental property, it's got to be one that the numbers work two ways. One, that for whatever reason or circumstance, it's not in a position where it is uh, in rarefied air in terms of value. And second that if you start renting it out, you can be cash flow positive from the beginning. And the reason that's important is if you guess wrong and the value does decline later after you buy it, if you are cash flow positive on the rental, you can ride that out. On the other hand, if you're upside down where you're bringing in less money each month than your carry on the property, that's too high a level of risk for you to have your existing equity evaporate into an investment property. Okay. You have you have an inside track that puts you a step ahead of the rest of us mm-hmm. and that you have the heartbeat of the real estate market every day. Mm-hmm. So if you can meet those two tests, I think you can do it. But otherwise, know that, I know this is going to sound so, so terrible of me to say, the opportunity really is going to present itself when we go into the next recession. Okay. And so that's when values do take a pause from the the increases. The increase in home values generally around the country been going up at more than twice people's average increase in income, outstripping people's ability to afford And that's why this is not the opportune moment for rental properties to buy them 
unless you find that diamond in the rough. Robert's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Robert. How you doing? Pretty good. How you doing? Great. Thank you, Robert. You have a very young SUV you want to talk to me about. Uh, yes. What I really have is a question in regard to extended warranties. Okay. I mean, you know, the brand I have is well known and it's pretty good. But uh, I do have the extended warranty on it, but it hasn't started it. And I can, you know, cancel it. So what I'm really trying to find is extended warranty worth having. Because, I mean, I do all the maintenance on the car and everything that's supposed to be done. What what brand of, tell me what model and brand it is, if you don't mind. It's a Toyota Highlander. Which, according to Consumer Reports, is the most reliable of all SUVs you could buy, if I remember right. Uh, yes, because I, I read, always read their information. So with and, it being as reliable as it is, I mean, just about the best or maybe the best in terms of reliability, I would not want to spend the thousands of dollars for an extended warranty on that. You know, you... Yes, you it's about twenty two hundred dollars. Yeah, it's a lot of money. That's why I'm. Yeah, I I'm want that twenty two hundred. Put that twenty two hundred back into your pocket. You know, it's, yes, sir. If you were, if you had bought an SUV that was at the bottom of the heap, then it would make sense for you to buy an extended warranty. But actually, you know, you always want to have the manufacturer's own, not yes, some sir. third party company, and you actually don't want to buy them till you are near the end of the manufacturer's warranty itself because you can with most manufacturers you can buy their own extension before the one that comes with the vehicle runs out so you have time to see how the vehicle's performing and all the rest but in your case you're dealing with everything in life is playing odds and the odds that something would go wrong with the Highlander that would be a catastrophic cost to you in the time period the extension of the warranty would cover the odds are so much in your favor that nothing is going to be a major issue that I'd get your $2,200 back, and they're going to try to give you every excuse why not to give you back your money. Go get your money back. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks so much for listening today. You know, there's a giant team behind bringing you everything we do at Team Clark. Our podcast and radio show are produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. My TV producer is Leah Dunn. Clark.com is made possible thanks to Krista DiBiaz, James DeGal, John Crest, Theo Timu, Michael Timmerman, Craig Johnson, Beth Marcinko, Clara Bosnetto, John Jones, and Grace Del Rio. ClarkDeals.com, where you can find the best deals from around the web, is produced by Karis Brown. Laura Sayers, Sarah Jordan, and Damon Marley. You can sign up for our newsletters at Clark.com thanks to Sally McDonald and our social media gurus are Chelsea Glass and Nicole Carroll. Our Off-Air Advice Center is run by Lori Silverman, Sarah Mobley, and Sue Gatliff. And their team's available to serve you over 40 hours each week at 404-892-8227. And this is a free service of Team Clark. Thanks for listening. Till next time.